It truly has already been a great blessing for us to come together with the opportunity to engage in spirited singing, these wonderful songs with such tremendous lessons already contained within them, thoughts that can help to spur us onward and upward and forward in our service for God, the prayer in which we certainly were able to lay our petitions upon the shoulders of our Heavenly Father and to rest assured that He has promised to not only hear but to answer the prayers of His children. For is it not still true that the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers? 1 Peter 3, verse number 12. As you may have noted in the bulletin and also on the wall to my left, the title to the lesson to which we'll turn our attention this morning is in fact perhaps a bit on the unusual side, the conditional glory of old age. It's a rather interesting thing to ponder the various seasons of life, the issues that arise as we address the various seasons of it. As we move through a consideration of that lesson, might we begin with some thoughts that perhaps will place it into its context, at least as I would wish us to consider it today, and to think a bit interestingly about that orderly nature in which life seems to move, its, move itself along. We each know that when a child enters the world and for several years thereafter, there seems to be a noted period of activity, a noted period of learning and growth, a noted period in which all things with enthusiasm seem to be pursued with regard to physical activity, with respect to knowledge, even with respect to other particular pursuits in life. But there does come a time, at least in the natural progression of things, when adulthood is reached, a time of now when a degree of seasoned experience is able to be appreciated, when a degree of maturity is now present. A person by that point should have reached the ability to make wise decisions with a degree of soundness, a perspective on life rather different than those early days of youthful activity. Now the pursuits in life may well be different. There may be a family for which one should provide. There may be responsibilities on the job side into one's community, activities in the church. You see, that's not anywhere like it was in those early days when there was that degree of responsibility. But then we might also notice, again, in many instances, with the blessing of God, that adulthood will reach a seasoned period of elderliness. That period of years in which age has now reached a more advanced level. In that particular period of life, there are many changes in the sense that it's not like the early years of youth, nor is it like those early years of adulthood. This particular period has its own set of unique characteristics, its own set of unique positions and dispositions. It is this older period of years that I would wish that you and I would consider this morning. Some have reached that period of years. Others of us are perhaps advancing ever swiftly day by day toward that time. What does the Bible have to say about that period of life, that particular set of years in which we might describe it as old or elderly? It is, in fact, to be something I would wish you to notice at the bottom of that screen. As we focus upon that, I might ask us to especially recall that part of the title of the lesson was Glory of Old Age. Sometimes our society looks upon that last portion of life as a portion that is not quite as honorable, not quite to be considered as respectful as those first two years. I don't think there's any question that in our society we frequently lay great attention on youth. 
When you turn on the TV, what do we so often seem to see in my way of commercials? It's younger people advertising something. We don't seem to have the degree of public respect by way of media for this latter portion in life. How does God perceive it? In what way does He present this latter section in the years of our life in the flesh to us? He does present it as a time of glory. It is to be honored. It is to be highly considered as a grand blessing. But I might ask us to notice the way that God describes that. It may be different than so often might be seen in our common thinking. With that said, let's look first of all at some more specific comments relative to this latter portion in life. It's entirely fair to say, at least by way of our interaction with those who are elderly, those who are somewhat older in years, it can seemingly be a time of confusion. It can seemingly be a time of a bit of frustration for the very reasons that we mentioned earlier. Certainly, the capacities of the physical body are not the same then as they were many years earlier. When one is perhaps strong and able to do all that he or she seems to wish, be it work on the farm or in the house or in other capacities of life, when we reach that elderly period in life, the body doesn't seem to be able to accomplish what it once could. The strength of the fingers and of the muscles and of the legs and the arms seems not to be able to be called upon in the same way that it was many years in the past. That may lead again to frustration, thinking that I'm not able to do what I once could. Maybe you and I have spoken with those of that class in life who might be tempted to use the word useless. Let me assure you, if you are in that stage, you are not useless. And if others of us are blessed by God to reach that point, neither shall we be. Though the capacities may be diminished from a physical perspective, does God have other chores, other activities that He desires that individual to pursue? Other things that are just as needed, just as imperative, and just as necessary as would be the physical labor, let's say, from the body. I would submit to you that as we look at a text like Psalm 92, I would ask that you look interestingly with me at verses 13 and 14 of Psalm 92. These are the words from the great psalmist of the long distant past. But listen to the powerful and marvelous way he describes the very aspect that touches our lesson this morning. I'll begin reading in verse 13. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. If we pause at that point, we can readily see the positive and powerful way that God expresses that those who labor in His cause and in His kingdom, verse 13, shall flourish. They shall know abundance, greatness in terms of that which can be accomplished. But now let us not forget verse 14. These same individuals who are said to flourish, verse 14, they shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. These same ones who are able, in verse 13, to redound into God's glory and to appreciate all that He had to offer are the very same ones who, even in verse 14, when they reach old age, shall still bring forth fruit. As you notice that language, that's a beautifully positive statement, isn't it? Even when these individuals have reached the seasoned nature of years, 
They have lived in the flesh for quite some time. Even then, they still shall bring forth fruit unto God. It's to be noted as that verse closes, verse 14. The reference in the King James Version to fat and flourishing has nothing to do with the physical size of their body. It is not to say they're heavy or overweight. It is to say the word fat means to be full of sap. They still have a vigor and an energy that allows them to accomplish the work that God has in mind and in store for them. Furthermore, that latter reference to flourishing has the reference to that which is green. Like a tree in the early season of its year that is able still to have the vigor, the vitality, and the opportunity to bring forth that which God would have it to do. I would submit that that verse alone seems to pose a wonderful glory to the older age in life. That particular section or portion of years when the youthful nature of immaturity has passed, when the character of early adulthood is now seemingly a distant memory. But this seasoned interest of years, notice even still they shall bring forth fruit unto God. The Bible frequently makes mention of those who have reached that seasoned era of years. In fact, I have put in quotation marks a reference as the King James posed it and as Jeff read it. The hoary head, H-O-A-R-Y. That is nothing but a very eloquent presentation in the King James Version of 1611 that makes reference to the section of older years when the hair may well be gray, when the time has come that that gray hair is in fact may partially be even in silver, but it is nonetheless that hoary head. Notice the text to which it refers in Leviticus 19 verse 32. Even in the days of the law of Moses, God said something very special with regard to the hoary head. Verse 32 says, Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man and fear thy God, I am the Lord. We can see that it was the disposition of the God of heaven to in fact state that it is proper to have respect for those that are elderly in age. Those who are older in terms of number of years Note again the language, honor the face of the old man. Perhaps our parents helped us even when we were young to offer respect to those that were elder. I can well remember my grandparents always encouraging me to never call an older person by his first name. You say mister because you have respect for who that person is. Again, that of course being if that person is a man. But let it be noted that here a degree of honor is rightly accorded, according to the law of Moses, unto those that are older in years. But in light of all of that, might we notice in Proverbs 20, verse 29, a rather interesting statement that also touches the same subject. In Proverbs 20, verse number 29, the inspired writer had these words to say. The glory of young men is their strength, and the beauty of old men is the gray head. Might we notice a contrast between the younger man and the older man, and the degree of glory attached to each is certainly present, but it is based upon different things. For the young man, it's his strength. The body is fully capable and that point energetic to accomplish that which is in need to be done. But with regard to the older man, notice he says it's the gray head. There is something emblematic and symbolic 
and is in fact testified by the character of that gray hair. We shouldn't be perhaps as ashamed of that as our society seems to think we ought to be. Isn't it interesting as I close that screen, even in the New Testament, the degree of respect for those that are older was even announced by Paul, was it, in 1 Timothy 5, verse 1. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as, in fact, a father, a brother. We should appreciate the statement there that helps us remember that we are to have respect for those that are our, our elders. Isn't it thus a shame that our society sometimes looks upon those that are old as being useless? In fact, songs have been written that testify to that thought, when in fact that is far from true in the Bible. And that is one, in fact, of the reasons that modern society chooses on occasion to perform what's called euthanasia. Let's put that old person to death. Put him or her out of his or her misery. My friend, that's nothing more than murder. The Bible doesn't approve or condone euthanasia. Just because we're old doesn't mean we're useless. Just because we're advanced in years doesn't mean there's nothing we can do. God still has said, even in old age, they shall bring forth fruit unto God. Again, the text of Psalm 92, verse 14. As one then begins to ask and to proceed, how do we then study this? I would ask that we focus attention on the verse that Brother Jeff read earlier and somewhat look at that more carefully. It's found again in the 16th chapter of Proverbs, verse number 31. Looking back to that text, it again reads, The hoary head is a crown of glory, if it be found in the way of righteousness. That leads us to make this comment, which will lead us through the remainder of our study time this morning. Though it is true that you and I ought to have a disposition to respect and to honor those that are elderly and those that are older, we might notice the greatest honor of old age, the greatest position of honor is reserved for only a certain few. You see, just because a person is old doesn't mean that he will be a person deserving of the greatest honor of old age. What is the greatest honor? Again, Proverbs 16, 31. The hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. Let's begin and look somewhat carefully at the thrust of that passage. And I have tried to list for you some of the statements to be seen in the wording of it. There's that phrase, hoary head, again. It means gray hair. That head with the hair on it that has been seasoned with the age of experience. Many years have come and gone in the life of that person in the flesh. Notice, though, that the next portion of that verse makes reference to a crown of glory. In the Hebrew, that means a state of honor. It has direct reference to a reward for service as well as for victory. Here we have Solomon, that wise man, thus directly asserting that that gray head, those gray hairs, are a reward for a lifetime of service, a lifetime of victory, a position of honor. But is that reserved for each and every person that's old, regardless of the kind of character or person that that individual may be? I would submit we ought not stop there. What else is contained in that verse? That gray head, those gray hairs are in fact a reward for a life of service if, if, latter part of the verse, it be found in the way of righteousness. That word if, you see, begins a condition. 
it specifies that that which precedes is conditioned upon that which follows. The ultimate respect and honor and glory for old age is thus conditioned upon something. What is the condition? What is it that leads to the greatest glory and honor of older age? Well, the latter part of the verse states it this way. If it, that word it again has reference, it's a pronoun, back to the first part of the verse, namely if it be found in the way of righteousness. If that old age is respecting a life that has been lived in righteousness, if it is descriptive of a life of a person who has devoted him or herself to the position of the following of God and faithful and submissive obedience thereto, then, and only then, is that gray head worthy of the highest respect from the perspective of God. That particular idea certainly poses a very interesting viewpoint upon older age, doesn't it? And oh, what an opportunity to honor in a proper godly way those whose life is a life of righteousness. One who has chosen to walk his or her life respecting the will of God, choosing to live by the commandments thereof, and in so doing performs a powerful work of example to a whole host of those round about him or her. The hoary head is indeed a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. I would submit that it would certainly be an opportunity to think about what that latter phrase means. In the way of righteousness, as it has reference to the uprightness as set forth by God, what is it then that we should clearly understand about righteousness? The psalmist, I think, says it best. In Psalm 119, verse 138, we read exactly that God's testimonies are His righteousness, and that is righteousness. And in verse 172 of the same chapter, we learn, I will sing of thy righteousness, for all thy commandments are righteousness. It is God's commandments then that are righteous. We here learn a very valuable lesson. Just because God blesses me to live long enough on earth so that I can be called old, that doesn't mean that I'm worthy of the greatest and most noble respect from the presence of the book of God. It's only if I choose to live in accordance to His laws, His righteousness, His uprightness, and the sobriety that touches the nature of obedience to His commandments, then and only then would I be worthy of the highest and utmost respect as I reach those latter years of life in the flesh. The nature of that statement perhaps points out to us that that gray head is again a crown of glory if that person has chosen to live in that way. Think about some of the things that would be exemplified by that crown of glory. That person who has reached that stage in life has weathered many storms. There have been many adversities, significant number of oppressions, afflictions, great decisions, compelling and moving circumstances that had to be not only endured, but victoriously overcome. That person that has that gray hair that older person has in fact weathered and endured all of that and can then serve by way of wisdom of those who yet are about to face such matters. Oh, the wisdom that ought to then be reserved and inhabited within a person who would be of that position in life. It is to be noted, too, that as we are able to consider that wisdom, God also has things in His book to say about using that wisdom in a proper way 
to let that wisdom be an example and guide to those who are yet younger than that elderly person. It's a significant thing to appreciate that whether it be the good times in life or those that have been trying, that person who has advanced that older age is a person who has endured it all. Not only the bad, but even those good times. One of the greatest temptations, I suppose, is that when God allows us to be blessed with those good times, we can't allow that to lead us to pridefulness and to arrogance and to have a condescending attitude and disposition toward others. That older person with that hoary head, if that person is again in the way of righteousness, would not have given in to that kind of thinking, would not look upon others as I am better than you, and you should in fact proceed to almost worship me. An older person ought not behave, of course, in that fashion. But it is to be noted that that person should, by that point, have a wealth of wisdom, a wealth of experience that can be used to help guide and to train those that are younger. That leads us to, in fact, some verses in which that idea is presented. I would ask that we turn our attention to that idea. And I've listed a few verses for you to consider as you ponder this, this aspect with me. The Bible, in no uncertain terms, lays this responsibility upon those that are elder. They are given the charge and the challenge and the responsibility to teach, to instruct, to use that wisdom and knowledge to train those who are yet the younger so that they will in a more seasoned way be able to approach those same problems, those same troubles and those same issues that they are yet to face in their lives. Consider the Old Testament reference to elder. We remember in a patriarchal society that that man who was the patriarch of the family was an elderly person who was given the charge to teach those that were his family members, the children, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren. He, as the patriarch of that family, like Abraham, like Isaac, and like Jacob, were to be the ones who ensured that the family would appreciate the thrust of the commands of God and would so be conducted by it as to live wisely. Genesis 18 verse 19 would be a remarkable text affirming that in the life of Abraham himself. But notice yet another example. Let's address the aged men first. Those men who have been blessed to reach the elderly stage in life Again, with a wealth of years of experience beneath their belt, if you please. The New Testament in Titus 2, verse number 2, gives those men some specific instruction, some commandments that they are expected of God to follow. Notice I have placed them in italics for you. First, they are to be sober. As we've often noted, the King James usage of that word is not the same as it's typically employed today in society. That doesn't mean they're just not to drink. Other passages tell us that. That word means that they are to be wise in their discretion. They are to be clear in their thinking. They are to be a person who is able to analyze a circumstance and a situation, use the years of wisdom before them, and make a sound decision. In other words, they are to have sound judgment. But in the second place, they are to be grave. You and I often use that word as a noun. It has to do with the place we place a corpse. Notice again, the word here is an adjective. It means they are to be serious. 
there is certainly a time for frivolity. There's a time to have jokes and a time to, in fact, enjoy the finer fun pleasures in life. But there's also a time to be serious. There's a time, in fact, to appreciate the gravity of a situation and to, in fact, invest within it the proper note of earnestness, honesty, and sincerity. In the third place, they're to be temperate. Notice again, inasmuch as this is a command to those older gentlemen, that means you're to be self-controlled. Even in those seasoned years of later life, we aren't to walk about and live in a way that's uncontrolled where we pursue the passions and lusts and propensities of the flesh. We're to control the nature of the body and to bring into subjection every thought unto the captivity of Jesus Christ. Read 2 Corinthians 10, verse number 5. Sound in faith. What a treasure it is when a family can look to a father, a grandfather, a great-grandfather who is dedicated and firm in the faith and who is uncompromising and unbending in his demand and pursuit of truth. As older gentlemen men, we are to be sound in faith. We are not to be blown about by every wind of doctrine. Read Ephesians 4 verse 14. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 9 informs us we are not to be those who are unsettled. We, by that point, should have years of experience of appreciating the working of God in your life and mine and a world of capability to rest upon the fact that just as God has blessed in the past, He will continue to be with us in the future. That kind of man, sound in the faith, only leads us to notice two final things Paul states in charity. Older men, we are to have a loving disposition. We know that love is to be a part of the nature of Christianity. We're to add charity or love to ourselves, Second Peter chapter 1, verse number 7. But notice as we're able to exhibit that love, to show others that after a lifetime of living, things that matter the most would be described in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. There's faith, there's hope, and there's charity. Paul said the greatest of these is charity. And notice he closes it with patience. We recognize throughout life, in youth sometimes we aren't so quick to appreciate the importance of patience. But quite often as we get older, we have learned that patience is important. Patience is needful to produce the kind of life that others find most pleasant and pleasing. And inasmuch here as patience is mentioned, Paul says to those older men, be patient, understand the working of God. Didn't Isaiah write for us in Isaiah 40, 31, wait on the Lord always. And again I say, wait on the Lord. Those features were addressed to the older men. The next verse, he turns his attention to the older women. They too have things that should be kept in mind, ideas that are important. Notice as we look also at that, the older women are to have these qualities. Many of them are rather self-descriptive. They are to be holy. Of course, that life, perhaps you can think of a mother or a grandmother or some other individual, perhaps even your wife, who exemplifies what it means to be holy. A person devoted and dedicated to the truth of God's Word and who in simple and honest simplicity desires to pursue that with the talents and skills that she has been given. But in addition to holiness, not false accusers, 
Not a person who is quick to accuse others without knowing all the evidence or the facts. A person who is not interested in slandering against another again without the character of the evidence before her. These older women not given to much wine. We remember that Paul had stated that with respect to men back in, in the book of 1 Timothy. Here it was with respect to women not to be overly given to the consumption of things like wine. It is an interesting observation that even in that former day, it was certainly possible to be a glutton with respect to certain things. And here, the older women were in fact told not to be given to too much wine. Notice what they were to be, however, teachers of good things. They were to be ever ready, ever capable to in fact teach that which was and is good exemplifying it by the way that they live, and ever ready to assert it in power to those round about them. Note in particular, they were to teach the young women to be sober. We mentioned already how that one of the great works of older life is to teach the younger. We need that kind of teaching desperately. It certainly could be true that a younger generation is not and is not founded upon the ultimate reality of a lifetime of experience, but an older person is. In fact, in a moment, we're going to look at some examples, and they'll be admittedly brief. But isn't it interesting to notice that those older women teach those younger women to be sober? Again, that means to be of sound judgment, where you can emphasize to them what really is most important. And you can help them see what really is the most important and basic matter of life. Teach them to love their husbands. Set before them an example and instruct them directly to love their husband. To make that family the bedrock kind of situation it ought to be for yourself, for your community, for the church, and for the nation. Teach them to love their husbands. In addition to love their children. Older women, they should have been able to set a lifetime of that example, but now you teach them these things. You give them wise advice, counsel, and wisdom that helps them to see the need to love their children, to love their husbands. Furthermore, to be discreet, and to be chaste, and to be keepers at home, and to be good, and to be obedient to their own husbands. These commandments that Paul expressed... These statements that he gave to the older women are still as needful and are as much a command today as they were then. It may be we live 2,000 years or so later, but the same society has the same needs now that it had then. Notice in that listing, we did see chaste and discreet. Chaste has the idea of modesty. Older women teach the younger women how to dress appropriately. So many times our younger generation needs it. They need to be commanded and corrected in the way how to dress, how to talk, how to conduct yourself in light of others. Those are important matters, all included. Notice discreetness. How to comport yourself with respect to others as you deal with them. There's always a better way and a way that's not so better to interact with others. Sometimes a person can say something's good, but if you say that which is good, but say it in a way that's not good, the person doesn't leave with the thoroughness of the instruction. Discreet has behind it the idea, say that which is good, but learn to say it. 
also in the way that is best. Finally, the latter ones have to do with the home, obedient to their husbands. Why don't we, as we make mention of that idea, look at very, very briefly, and this will close our lesson this morning, to note the responsibility of these activities with regard to health, not only in a family, but in the church. How that we desperately need the instruction of older men and the instruction of older women in exactly the way that Paul described. There is a critical element of instruction missing when that is absent. Isn't it fair to say that sometimes the sadness to be seen is only exemplified in certain examples of the Bible? I mentioned that we would be brief. I would only call to your attention one example from the lifetime of Solomon. When Solomon came to the throne after his father David had passed away, one of the first things that David had to or Solomon had to deal with was a great decision. For some of the tribes were threatening to secede. That is, certain of the tribes were threatening to leave and no longer be united in Israel. Solomon had the challenge to make sure the kingdom stayed united and a follower of the God of heaven. First thing Solomon did with regard to one of his decisions was he asked the old men for their advice, for their counsel. He petitioned to them, what should we do? Those older men were seasoned with experience. And they gave Solomon some advice. However, upon hearing that advice, Solomon turned from it and said, I think I'll ask the younger men. And so he went to his own friends and asked, What do you advise and what is your counsel? And the text in 1 Kings chapter 12 tells us that Solomon rejected the counsel of the old men and chose to follow the counsel of the young men. All I need to do is give you one last sentence. The kingdom split not many days thereafter. The old men had the thing that was right. They had the wisdom Solomon should have followed, but he rejected it. He acted a fool on that occasion. Today, may we, as we close our lesson this morning, have an honor and respect for the elderly. They have a work that God wishes for them to do. It's to be noted that when we shirk that responsibility, we do great damage to the cause of God. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers... Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That text is found in Hebrews 5, verses 12 to 14. Today, may we quickly... Thus ask ourselves these questions. Where do you stand now as an elderly person? I hope that as we have studied God's Word today, you can feel that you are vital and valuable to the work of God. You can bring forth fruit in older age. You should be a source of instruction to those that are younger. A life of experience and wisdom should be able to be shared by you to those that are younger who still will walk someday in your steps. But to us who are somewhat younger, how are you living? Are you so conducting yourself now so that when the hair has turned gray, you will be able to wear the crown of glory spoken of in Proverbs 16.31? Remember, that gray head is a crown of glory only if you have lived and walked in the way of righteousness. 
Where do you stand right now? Are you walking a pathway of righteousness and do the gray hairs on your head thus exemplify a crown of glory? If you've never become a Christian, you need to begin that journey today. Don't wait any longer. Begin that journey now. And if you have become a Christian but have ceased to walk in a way that is of righteousness, come back to your first love. Readily admit to others mistakes that you have made. Repent all of them. Confess them. And God wants to welcome you back home. If we could be of assistance today in the performance of your confession and baptism, which is preceded by your belief and repentance, or in praying on your behalf, let us do that if you would. But let us know while together we stand and while we sing.